following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. He is risen. Mm, hallelujah. Hear the word of the Lord concerning the Lord Jesus written some 700 years before he was born in Bethlehem. The word from Isaiah, chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. And who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Father, God is with the glorious purpose that we are gathered here today to worship a risen king, the Savior Jesus, who bore, bore on his own shoulders our sin, bore on his body on the cross the death that we deserve. And by your glorious grace, he did not stay dead, but three days later rose never to taste death again, so that by faith in Him, we too, who believe in Him, might have eternal life. 
We pray, Father, as we look to your word this morning, that your spirit would speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts, open our eyes and our ears to see you at work and to hear your word, and by your grace be changed. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, um, Easter was kind of a funny holiday. Um, for some reason, that Sunday of all Sundays, we got super dressed up. As you can see, I'm still in that pattern. Super. That's a, when I have pictures, I look like Billy Graham as a little kid. And that, uh, that Sunday when the church uh, was over, we'd all come home and turn back into normal people uh, and then um, get some uh, get some baskets and uh, with fake plastic grass and look around for eggs. A lot of the kids have done here this morning. Um, I'm not sure they understood, my folks, if they understood the effect of sugar on young children. Um, but they asked for it, and they got it. Um, some years we'd dye hard-boiled eggs and dip them in the whatever, coloring. And then we would eat the hard-boiled eggs after, which was gross. The candy was definitely better. And I think, probably, if you asked me at seven or eight years old what Easter was really about, I would have told you bunnies and eggs and candy and Jesus, probably in that order. My hope is to reverse that order this morning or maybe change it altogether. I'm not here to rail against the bunny. It's creepy. I don't know. No story about the bunny, but I don't know where he comes from. I'm not here to rail against the bunny and the egg hunts. Um, I think those things are fairly harmless. Um, and since we're at church, uh, it should be fairly obvious that we can agree that Jesus is the real uh, thing with Easter, that Christ rising from the dead has a great deal more to do with the real meaning of Easter. But the implications of Easter are far greater uh, and what I want to do in discovering the implications of Easter is uh, consider a question that was relayed uh, to us a few weeks ago by Craig, actually, um, or one of the one of the kids. I don't remember which kid it was because there's like a hundred. It was Selene. Okay, give credit where credit is due. He told Craig told us a few weeks ago about a time that Selene asked uh, him, "What was the most important question in the Bible?" And that hit me right between the eyes um, when he was talking about that. And I'm in, I'm in full agreement with his response. What the most important question posed in the Bible was posed by Jesus when he says, Who do you say that I am? So I want to look at that account in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. And that's page 822 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Matthew 16, start at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is such an important and so often misunderstood passage of Scripture. It's kind of like Easter, even as you look at it. Some people have some ideas about who Jesus is or who he was or what he was doing, but they just hadn't looked close enough. But if we look closely, we will see Easter in its truest form here in these verses. Jesus had led his disciples out of the predominantly Jewish areas into a Gentile district of Israel near the foot of Mount Hermon uh, at one of the sources at the, of the Jordan River north of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where he asked him, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, just to make sure we all understand here, Jesus was referring to himself when he says the Son of Man. Um, we say, well, son of God. Why does he say son of man? A son of man is, when Jesus uses it, it's a term of humility. Um, he's recognizing that though he is fully God, he is also fully man. Who do people say the son of man is? Well, he didn't ask about what the scribes and the Pharisees said. He didn't ask about what the rulers of the people had said, but he asked about my kind of people, the regular people, normal, ordinary folks. What are the common people saying? What are the people that had seen Jesus, heard his words, and interacted with the disciples, maybe talking on the side? What were they saying? And the opinions of those people... Our people that the disciples recalled really is not that much different than the opinions of people in our own time. You can ask anyone, who's, who is Jesus? Well, the people say, some say John the Baptist, come back to life. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, if you think about this, these are actually pretty high opinions. To be equated with John the Baptist, he was a hero of the people. Everybody uh, liked John the Baptist, well, except for Herod's wife. Uh, well, that's another story. But Herod did not want to stop uh, John the Baptist because the people liked him, and he didn't want to cause a riot, so he left him alone until his wife decided that was enough of that and had him beheaded. Well, it's unfortunate. These opinions that people had were high of Jesus, but they were not high enough. John the Baptist, a great, great man, a great compliment to be compared to him, uh, for you or for me, maybe, or even Elijah, 
who was taken up in a chariot of fire, never tasted death. Wow, maybe that's him. Or maybe it's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He's a man of sorrows. Maybe that's him or one of the other prophets because we don't really know. People then, much like people now, had invented ideas from their own imaginations that were twisted by Satan to keep them from a knowledge of the truth. Jesus was a good good teacher, good guy, very influential, lots of people like him, but certainly not God. You can ask anyone and you'll get the response like that. But Jesus poses this most important question ever asked. Who do you say that I am? Not public opinion anymore. What about you? What do you say? Who do you say that I am? Now, to be clear, Jesus is asking this question of his disciples, of the twelve, of the men who had walked with him and talked with him. They'd heard the parables and they'd heard the parables explained. But they still struggled with who Jesus really was. If you read about the the disciples, the apostles in the New Testament, they're really kind of confused and don't really get their story straight until after Jesus had died and was resurrected and then ascended to heaven again. Once the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, things cleared up. But while they were walking with Jesus, they seemed to never really get it right. Those poor fools, we're... Glad we're not like them, right? They had already confessed that Jesus was the Son of God when he calmed the sea, calmed the storm. They had confessed that he was Messiah, that he, uh, that he was the Holy One of God. And yet, it seems over and over, they would either forget, or maybe they weren't fully convinced, or they just didn't understand what those things really meant. One of my favorite questions, maybe not the most important questions, but one of my favorite questions in Scripture is when Jesus asked the disciples, seems like over and over, are you still so dull? You Do you still not get it? But this is a linchpin moment. This is when Jesus' ministry changed as he began to look forward, look ahead to the cross. Who do you say that I am? Their answer to that question and our answer to that question changes everything. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, just as Jesus' question is the most important question posed in Scripture, that answer is just as important. It's how people answer that question that determines their eternal destiny. Simon Peter speaks up, as he often did, on behalf of the disciples and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the way he poses this response is very important. He says, You are the Christ. He does not say, Well, I think you're the Christ. Or not, we believe that you're the Christ. This is a statement of fact. This is very important. A statement of fact. This was a line in the sand. You're either the Christ or you're not. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we believe. Jesus is either the Christ or he isn't. Peter says, you are the Christ. 
This was a declaration of worship and allegiance to the Christ. Now, in our day, people argue about individual truths, right? What's This is your truth. She is speaking her truth or his truth. What's true for me isn't necessarily true for you, and what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. Does this sound familiar? Well, it's hogwash. There's either truth or there isn't. And the truth is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. To declare this truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, leaves no room for debate. And the reaction to this fact is black or white. You're either in or you're out. There's no sitting on the fence with this declaration. Acceptance or rejection of this fact will determine the eternal destiny of every person. When we stand before God, this is the question that we will answer. In your life, who have you said that I am? Either the Christ or not. And our behavior displays our declaration, not just our words. Words are easy, folks. Life is hard. Make this declaration with your life. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a confession of worship. It's a confession that changes everything. Now, to be clear, again, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not like Jesus Johnson. It's not, that's not his last name at all. Actually, Jesus' last name, in case you were wondering, is Bar-Joseph, because it means son of Joseph. But that's not... Christ is not it. It's a title, not a name. The Old Testament uses the Hebrew word Messiah. You've heard that before. And Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Christ, a Greek word, Messiah, a Hebrew word. They both mean the same thing, anointed one. Anointed one. This is how the Old Testament prophets referred to Jesus long before he was born. The anointed one. And who gets anointed in the Old Testament? Kings. Kings get anointed. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, is king. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus' response to this confession by Peter and the apostles has also been greatly misunderstood and even twisted. In verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, right? Simon, son of Jonah. That's how they got last names. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, for hundreds of years, our Catholic friends have said that Peter was named here as the rock of the church, the first pope, and that the church is built on him. This is a horrible misinterpretation of these words. That is not even close to what Jesus said. It's exactly the opposite. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. According to the flesh, Simon, 
was a child of Jonah. But according to this revelation and his declaration by the Holy Spirit, he has been adopted as a child of God. And that is true for everyone who makes this confession. I may be a son of David and Jody, but because I have declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I am a child of God. You may be a child of your parents, but when you declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are adopted as a child of God. Jesus continued and said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus changed Simon's name. I kind of wish that had happened for all of us. I can't barely even say my name, so it would be easier if it was something else. I won't give you any suggestions. No need. You have names in your own heads already. Jesus permanently changed Simon's name to Peter, a Greek word, Petros. It's a word that means stone, big stone. But Peter is not the stone that Jesus has built his church on. The word he uses for rock in verse 18 is not the same word. It's close. But because we don't speak Greek, we don't understand the difference. Jesus calls Peter Petros, a word that means stone. But the Petra is the Greek word that Jesus uses. And that means bedrock. Not a stone, not a boulder, bedrock. We live in a granite state. We understand what bedrock is here, don't we? The bedrock that the church is built on, is it Peter? No. It is the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Without that confession, there is no church. There are groups of people meeting all over the world, even now, that are not making this confession and yet think they are the church. But they are not built on this bedrock of the confession that Jesus is the Christ. We can't do anything about them right now. What can we do? We can do about us. Peter wrote in his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, he said, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter understood that he was not the bedrock of the church. He's just a stone in the building, just like we all are living stones in that building. Here is Easter at work, my friends. On this bedrock of confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Now gates of hell. Here we go. That's fun. What's that about? Also, very often misunderstood. The gates of hell, poor translation. It should read the gates of Hades. And you may even have a footnote in your Bible. It says gates of Hades there. That's what it says in Greek. But either way, it means the same thing. The gates of Hades, as J.P. Lang wrote, served a hostile purpose since they opened like a yawning abyss of death to swallow up the Christ and the apostles and the church in their martyrdom. But its gates will not ultimately prevail. They shall be taken, and Christ will overcome and abolish the kingdom of death in his church when he returns. Now, I've often thought about the gates of hell as a as a barrier to keep the church out. That's a defensive structure. But that's not it. That's not tried. It's kind of the other way around. The truth is the gates of Hades were built to keep captives in. But when people come to this confession and say, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and accept his death on the cross on their behalf, they're set free from this kingdom of death. Because by faith in Jesus Christ, they're part of the church now. That's how you get to be part of the church, is this confession. And the gates of Hades will not prevail over them. They will not be able to keep the church inside a death's kingdom anymore. We're not trying to get in. We're trying to get out. When we're trying to get people out, more people out all the time. And how do we do that? By telling them. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you put your trust in Him, you can be adopted as His child and be set free from the life of sin and death and this destiny of the kingdom of hell and Hades or whatever. Because Jesus rose from the dead, He made a way out for all those who would put their trust in him, for all those who would confess that Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He made a way to prevail over the gates of hell. Jesus is the only way out. There is a second question that is also very important in Scripture. There was a jailer in the city of Philippi who met Paul in a prison. When Paul had an opportunity to escape, he didn't. He stayed put because if he had escaped, the jailer would have been put to death. And when the jailer found that Paul was still in prison after an earthquake and all the doors fell off the prison and found Paul uh, and his uh, companions there in the prison, he came in and fell down and asked the, another very important question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the answer to that question. This confession, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God who gave up his life on the cross, was dead and buried for three days, and God raised him from the dead. 
so that our salvation would be purchased. Our forgiveness is paid for. We don't have to pay the penalty for our sin anymore. When we confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if you have not made that confession this morning, it's no pomp and circumstance. You don't have to stand up and testify. You can if you'd like. But you need to speak to God in your heart, from your heart, and say, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Confess your sin to Him, and He will forgive you. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon the bedrock of this confession, God will build His church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, what an important question you have given to us this morning. And even those of us that have walked with you for a long time still need to wrestle with this question when we think about our lives and how we live. I pray, Father, that you would give us the strength to continuously proclaim the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, not just with our words, but not without them either. I pray that we would declare this by the way that we live, the way that we work, the way that we interact with our neighbors, that people would see that Jesus is alive because he is alive in us. And Lord, for those that have never made this declaration, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I pray that this morning, even now, in the quietness of these moments, that they would make this great confession Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I confess my sin to you, and I receive your forgiveness, your death on the cross on my behalf. I give my life to you. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us enough to die for us, for extending your grace. I pray, Lord, that your gospel would ring out in all the churches meeting across the world this morning, celebrating your resurrection and the purpose of your death. God, we love you, and we thank you. May you be glorified in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire. 03890